Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michelle Troutman about writing law firm e-newsletters. Michelle owns Classy Writing, a business that specializes in creating e-newsletters and ghostwriting blog posts for law firms and other professional services firms. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Michelle. It's a pleasure to speak with you too, Shelley. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for being here. I'm just wondering, because you spend a good part of your time creating e-newsletters and ghostwriting blog posts for law firms, I'm wondering, what are some of the reasons that firms ask you to do one versus the other, creating an e-newsletter for them as opposed to ghostwriting blog posts? Well, in the case of newsletters, sometimes the firm already has blog posts written that they want to promote. They may have somebody within the firm who writes the posts. I don't promote myself as a legal expert. I'm I'm not a legal professional, so they may want to have somebody who knows the law write the posts or at least review the blog posts. Um, So that might be why they would choose to have me write an e-newsletter as opposed to doing both the blog and the newsletter. Right, right. And what are some of the differences between the two? I don't know, for me, somehow... Perhaps it's a generational thing, but what's the difference between an e-newsletter and a blog? I would say a blog post is more of an article uh, about a certain topic, whereas a newsletter, you can feature more than one item. I would say the average law firm newsletter probably features at least three different types of items. It could be more, could be less, but that's generally kind of a rule of thumb. And the newsletter, essentially, you're using that to promote different aspects of the law firm, like you might have an event, you might want to feature a blog post, um, you might want to also offer an incentive such as a lead magnet to get people to subscribe to that type of offer that you have. Okay, so is the would you say that the newsletter is a more of a promotional tool than the blog? I tend to see the newsletter as more of a promotional tool, but they also they do both work to promote a law firm. I mean, the blog post is more of a showcase of, say, the lawyer or law firm's expertise. Yeah, that that makes sense. And thank you for clarifying that because it's always been a question I've had, and I'm trying to think of, you know, why would yeah. a firm have why would a firm have both? Why would you have a newsletter as well as a regular blog? Yes, the newsletter basically it's promoting news. That's the news part of the word, as it were. That's how I see it, anyway. And I take it then the blog post can be a little bit more creative, or is that a overstatement? I would see it as, again, just a way to inform people about a certain area of the practice's expertise. You might feature a few different subtopics within the general main topic. Uh, For instance, you could be writing about, say, preventing an audit on a final tax return. This is more of a topic for estate planning firms. 
or those that handle that niche. Right. So in speaking with uh, the firms and the work that, uh, that you've been doing with them, I imagine you've been able to identify or they've identified for you some of the common challenges they have in writing their firm e-newsletters. Yes. I would consider there to be five main points or main topics that you should be thinking about when you create an e-newsletter. And I can go through those briefly if you'd like right now. Sure, that'd be great. Okay. So number one, you should think about the writing style you'll use from the language to the wording to the reading level and the overall tone. You should consider the content that will help you meet your marketing goals while you educate subscribers. Number three, you should create a basic outline. And then I would say number four, you're filling in that template. And number five, you want to create an engaging headline for the newsletter. Which aspects tend to be the most challenging for law firms? I would say right off the bat, possibly the headline. It depends, of course, on how important getting opens to the newsletter are. If you're just near, if you're not so concerned about how many people actually open up the email, then maybe a headline isn't the most important concern, the main concern rather. So essentially, you want to make sure you have a descriptive headline. Um, I would say that. You might want to have an air of mystery about the new, the headline, for instance. Uh, you don't want to reveal everything, but you want to offer some detail and include a benefit. There may be a sense of urgency in the headline that you create. And again, this would influence the open rate. I can give you an example of some copywriting formulas that people can use. Sure. Wow. I didn't even, what is, what is a copyright formula? <laughs> it's like a new, new concept. Copywriting. Well, <laughs> copywriters use these formulas a lot. There's one called problem agitate solution, also known as PAS. That's an acronym, of course, for that. Then you have attention, interest, desire, action, or AIDA. And then there's specific, actionable, urgent, clear, emotionally compelling, otherwise known as sauce. <laughs> wow. Okay, so these are all um, formulas to think about to help you write your subject lines? Yes, just kind of ways to kind of boil it down so you're not struggling to think of the right words. Okay. Wow. So is there any one formula that works best for subject lines for law firm e-newsletters? I don't think there's any particular formula. I just think if you follow those basic rules of thumb that I outlined, you should come up with a pretty decent headline. I can offer an example. Yeah, I'd love to hear examples of of each of the, the different, if you could. Yeah. I'm trying to get my mind around the differences between I have them. a few. Yes, um, going back to the blog post topic that I mentioned earlier, you might have a headline that says preventing an audit on the final tax return. So this is the problem agitate solution one? That may fit in partly into that mold. You're, You're trying to mention a benefit, of course, to entice people to open. And it's a positive one. It's not a negative one, of course. Right. 
Yeah. And I guess that's the key is you want, I mean, we get so many emails um, in our inbox that we want to find a way to encourage people to actually open an email. So I can see how the subject line would yeah. be so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how about like the length of the subject line? Any thoughts on like how long or short that should be in order to encourage what you call opens? Yes. Um, HubSpot, which is a firm that offers a lot of marketing advice to businesses, they recommend that you keep the headline to 45 characters or fewer. Now, of course, I'm sure not every headline that you see in an email newsletter meets that standard. So I think that sometimes you can bend the rules slightly. And of course, if you use a marketing email marketing platform, they it might give you some ideas that might tell you if it thinks the headline you've written is too long. Yeah. So HubSpot is a e-newsletter type platform. What what is? They offer other marketing tools, and they also offer advice to businesses on how to right. use those tools. Right. And are there any sort of subject line things to not do? Yes, um, I would say, and this is probably obvious to law firms, but basically you don't want to do anything like clickbait style headlines, you know, man bites dog, that kind of thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. You don't want to do anything that might also um, violate any attorney advertising guidelines in your jurisdiction. Right, right. How about those, um, I don't know, I've seen or I get from time to time those um, newsletters that give the impression they're written just for me. You know, it's like Shelly, and then they add whatever they would add in the uh, in the subject line to everybody else. But what about sort of personalizing um, a subject line like that in a law firm e-newsletter? Yes, I, I don't think, based on a study by MailChimp, I don't think that that's very effective. Apparently, according to their study, it decreased open rates by 31% for law firms specifically. So I think that in some cases, the reader might think that it's a little too salesy if you do that. And that's not something you really expect from a law firm, or you mm-hmm. shouldn't expect that, mm-hmm. in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then some of the things that you talked about, sort of the five general tips for writing uh, a law firm e-newsletter, I guess one of the big challenges is try to avoid legal jargon. Because if we're so used to writing in a particular way within our field, the, the audience is, well, I guess my next question is, so who should your audience be for your newsletter? Well, an audience for a law firm newsletter is generally existing and potential clients. It could be law firm staff or associates as well. Other people your law firm works with or networks with. That could be lawyers at other firms, vendors, etc. So there's a wide range of people. But oftentimes, the firm wants to focus on the clients or the potential clients. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, um, keeping things simple, as you say. And, uh, you know, you mentioned tone. And I'm, I'm just wondering what you mean by tone and how, you know, what are some of the things that we should be thinking about to strike the right tone? 
I think there's a number of key parts of that. Essentially, of course, the newsletter is is part of your brand. It's an extension of your law firm's personality, as it were. So you certainly do want to consider the type of language that you'll use, whether it be formal or informal. And you also want to consider the wording. You might get down to the specifics of which words you'll use versus those that you won't. And as you mentioned, I suggest that you lose the legalese and that you ditch any law Latin that comes to mind, unless, of course, you need to use those terms to explain a concept to people. You also want to think about the reading level. And again, the overall tone, that probably should be informational because you want to, again, you want to meet attorney advertising guidelines, which generally want your content to be educational. And it should appear to come from your firm, from a legitimate law firm email address. And getting back to the tone, for example, if you, if you handle estate planning, uh, I would say estate planning issues or personal injury law cases, for example, you probably should be writing with empathy when necessary because mm. oftentimes with those niches, uh, those deal with serial, serious rather topics such as death and illness or injury. Right. What about, you sort of mentioned sort of structure and filling out the the, the template. Are there kind of standard structures that we should expect an e-newsletter to follow? Yes, I, I would say uh, for if you're familiar, if anybody's familiar with journalism, there's the inverted pyramid. And if you're familiar with marketing, there's also the sales funnel. So it can, in a sense, that pyramid can work on both levels. But essentially, you want to put the most, most important information at or near the top, and then everything else kind of leads down to the less important information toward the end. So that kind of goes against the, the view that, I guess, that call to action or the takeaway at the very end. Um, I always thought that, that was kind of an important place to put important information was at the end. So you're saying not so much with, a, with an e-newsletter, I take it. Right. Because even though, and I also mentioned this, I've written about this, yes, you can have a call to action or CTA at the end, but sometimes it can be more effective to have it at near the top, because that might be one of the first few things a person will see in the newsletter. But to gauge how important, where you should actually put the CTA, it may be helpful to monitor a click map. I know some email marketing platforms like MailChimp offer that. So you can see exactly where people are clicking or where people click the most in that email that you send. And also you can sign up to to sort of sync your email marketing platform with a heat map or heat mapping piece of software. And that can tell you, that can actually show you rather where people are looking in that newsletter, where they're clicking sometimes as well. Wow. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. And I suppose then you yeah. use that information for, you know, future, like to see if they're in need to modify the, um, the format and things like that. Uh, yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. And it's like, would you say there's an optimal length for any newsletter? I would say probably 300 words or fewer, but again, that comes down to how many pieces of content you want to feature in it. 
if you want a short newsletter, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. I could say sometimes, of course, a newsletter can be longer than that. But I haven't really noticed a lot of law firm newsletters that are very long. But if somebody does create one and they're successful doing that, I certainly would like to hear about that. And I guess another question that comes to my mind is, how often would you recommend a firm send out an e-newsletter? I would say... um, Really, it might depend on what your metrics show. If you have other content like social media posts or blog posts, and if you publish a blog post, let's say, on a weekly basis, you might also want to email a newsletter once a week as well. Um, But oftentimes, it depends on how much you can commit to doing this. If 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 you're doing this yourself, Do you have the time to devote to creating a newsletter once a week? Maybe you should do that once every two weeks or maybe once a month, maybe even once a quarter. But I would say no less than once a quarter. Yeah. So it sounds like the idea of, you know, waiting until you have something to say is probably not um, the best guide (laughs) to follow. It sounds like you want to. Right. I don't um, think that's practical now. Because again, if you're, if you, a lot, oftentimes a law firm creates a newsletter to promote the firm. And if that's the goal, then you certainly want to get your message out there more often. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Makes sense. And any specific writing tips for someone who is, um, you know, writing their own e newsletter? Any specific tips to make it more engaging? Oh, I, would I guess. Say when it- <laughs> Yes, you certainly want to make sure it's engaging, but again, getting down to what to include, for example, if you're not sure what to write about, uh, I would suggest you follow the buyer's, or in this case, client's journey. And this advice can apply mostly to potential clients more than existing clients, but uh, HubSpot, for instance, they recommend in their buyer's journey, there's three steps, and this varies, but they're Their steps involve awareness, consideration, and decision. And I can go into more detail if you'd like as well, shall we? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so in the awareness stage, potential clients might not know about your firm or how it can help them. So in that case, you'd like to write content that informs. You could include examples of successful cases. Of course, you want to maintain the confidentiality of of any clients involved in those cases. You could mention other things such as your participation in a local charity fundraiser or another event. And then in the consideration phase, potential clients are thinking about your firm and how it compares to others. You want to help them decide with tips, such as questions to ask a lawyer during a consultation. And then the decision stage, potential clients have now narrowed down their choices of firms. You want to address their objections and help them evaluate how yours compares to others, like how it handles certain cases. So I guess then it's important to think about, um, again, in in terms of potential clients, what stage the clients would normally be at when they're reading the newsletter? Because can you really target all the stages of the, what you call the buyer's journey? You can, yes. Um, in those last two stages, the consideration and decision phase can also apply to existing clients. But 
you can get a little creative, especially in your calls to action and, and attempt to offer more than one item. Let's say you have a landing page. You might also promote something else. You could suggest that people call you. Um, there are different ways to go about. Just off the top of my head, I don't have any good examples, obviously, but you could get creative with how you try to appeal to every stage of that journey. Yeah, great tips. And it's such a, you know, it, it seems like such a niche, but I think every firm is either has an e-newsletter um, or is thinking about it or has a blog. I mean, that seems to be the way firms are doing a lot of outreach these days. So something I think well worth, uh, worth yes. thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Super tips, Michelle. I'm just wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on. Well, you could, for instance, like I, getting back to the list that I gave at the beginning of the podcast, uh, the number four filling in the template, I could give you kind of a rundown of just as an example of what could be included in a newsletter. Yeah, super. That would be great. Okay. So you, I, I like to think, whenever I think of the newsletter, I think of the headline first, even though technically you don't have to write the headline first. You could save that toward the end when you have more of an idea of what the newsletter contains. Sometimes it's easier to write the headline at the end. But essentially, you want a specific attention-getting headline that hints at what's inside. You can add preview text if that's an option in your email marketing platform to further sweeten or entice opens. And then in the body near the top, you could add news about your firm, such as a webinar you're hosting. You want to make this interesting. Toward the middle, you could include your latest blog post if you have one or a summary that links to the full post. And the headline and copy that you include here, of course, should invite opens. And then at the end, you do have the option you can include a call to action to entice clicks. Uh, If you don't have a call to action, you could, of course, just link to your social media, media pages and or your website. Right. And what are your thoughts about, you know, video, adding video and images and things like that? I think those are important parts, but when I think of an actual writing of a newsletter, I'm thinking of the copy, but certainly those are parts of a newsletter. I see the image, images as part of the design, right. and also a blo- sometimes people don't have a written blog post. They do have a video blog or a vlog, as it were, and you can certainly embed that video into your newsletter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting. So interesting. And I'm wondering how listeners can learn more about you and where to find information about classy writing. Certainly. For those of you who have e-newsletters, I would suggest that you consider whether your e-newsletter engages with your audience. Does it align with the points I covered? And also consider the feedback you're getting in the metrics, such as open rates and click rates. If you think you need to improve your e-newsletter, I am offering a free, no-obligation e-newsletter audit. You can send me a copy of your e-newsletter, and I'll let you know what works and what doesn't work. Just visit classywriting.com, that's classy with a C, forward slash free dash audit. So that's classywriting.com forward slash free dash audit. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I really encourage uh, listeners to take advantage of that wonderful opportunity. So, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing all your wonderful tips with us and, uh, and clarifying for me, like my age old question of what's the difference between a e newsletter and a blog. So I, uh, I feel like I have learned an awful lot speaking with you. So thank you so much for that. You're very welcome, Shelley. It was great to speak with you, and I hope your listeners will find the advice helpful. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas, so if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.